0: You may be seated. <laughs> Grateful. Good morning, Easter people. What is our song? Alleluia. I greet you on this fifth Sunday of tide. Two more to go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. It's good to remember he's still risen. What time did Jesus get up on Easter Sunday morning? I'm trying to remember. Anybody remember? It was early. It was early on Sunday morning. We've seen this through baptism this morning, which symbolizes resurrection. And as our theme for this series, we're reminded of that sign out there at Camp Tejas, Jesus transforms lives. Peter is Exhibit A. My prayer is that you and I are Exhibit B and C and D and E, on through. Jesus transforms lives. Last week, as we studied in First Peter, we saw our identity, our community, and our responsibility, that Jesus did everything he did for us so that we might declare his praises, because he's the one who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light on these special occasion days this week, and Mother's Day, and Father's Day and our celebrations of anniversaries, it's important that we remember that we're here to celebrate what Jesus has done for us, that he is the great one and he gets all the glory. That said, I do want to say to this particular group of graduates that some you know, Each graduating class is unique. Some of them are especially athletic, and some of them are especially talented, and some of them are especially brilliant, and you seem to have covered all of those bases, and so we are thankful for your accomplishments in the words of your classmate, Nene, Uh, you slay. All of you slay, and I, I want to be a voice that says that to you. Uh, to your parents, I just want to say, uh, having walked through this some years ago that if you're struggling with sending your first child out, some of you remember that there's a certain amount of anxiety associated with that. I'm the one in our family to talk to about that because that was me. If you're struggling with sending your second kid out, I want you to talk to Melanie because that seemed to be a particular challenge for her. And if you're sending out your third or your last graduate this year, I would just say um, order food through the mail and cook together. And sign up for ballroom dancing lessons. Men, you can thank me for that (laughs) later. We are grateful to God for creating these students in his image, for giving those who trust him eternal life for your hard work in school. And all of this gives greater glory to God. In 1982, thinking about your launch out into the world I remembered that back in 1982 there was a man named Larry who had a lawn chair and he wondered what would it be like if I could see my neighborhood from 1,000 feet up. So true story, he attached 45 large helium balloons to his lawn chair. It had a drink holder and I'm beginning to wonder what was in the drink holder. But he had a BB gun to shoot out the balloons so that he could descend after he had ascended. He had uh, milk jugs for ballast, and at the right moment, he, uh, he launched his lawn chair into the air. But it didn't stop at 1,000 feet. It went all the way up to 16,000 feet. It was a blip on the radar of LAX airport. And when he got to 16,000 feet, shooting the balloons with a BB gun did not seem like a good exit strategy. (laughs) Thankfully, there was an Air Force helicopter. And when he was delivered safely to the ground after traveling an enormous distance in his lawn chair, a reporter put a microphone in his face and said, weren't you scared up there? And he said, yes, wonderfully so. It seems to me that as you and I launch out into life, it's kind of a scary world. I think of this particular group of students in the classes just before them that they have endured things like Hurricane Ike and Hurricane Harvey. They've seen natural disasters. Who can forget the snowpocalypse? They've seen those things. And then they've seen man-made disasters, which we read about in the news with, with all the greater frequency in these days. And all of that may make us think that the measure of our lives ultimately may be decided by what or whom we fear. And Peter had an idea that if you and I could have the right fear, we would be liberated from all of the wrong fears. Would you open your Bibles with me this morning? We're giving our students Bibles, new Bibles that we've signed. They are working Bibles, by the way. Uh, they are completely functional. I looked through them. First Peter chapter three, verses 13 to 18. Let's stand together. We continue in this series, The Rock That Moved Peter, writing to those early believers. We've talked about living hope and living holy lives and being living stones, and today, living in the fear of the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to... To do good. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Here it is do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it's better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death... In the body, but made alive in the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Peter denied Jesus three times because he was afraid afraid of crucifixion. Jesus even gave him a preview and said, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no, I'm not. And then one, two, three times he denies Jesus. He was frightened. He was terrified. But something happened because he stood up at Pentecost and he proclaimed the greatness of of God and told the story of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. It looks like in this passage that for Peter, it always comes back to the resurrection. That that is the central event in history. That the fact that Jesus rose from the dead not only gave him courage to preach at Pentecost, but when he was imprisoned and the church was praying for him, God delivered him. He came to believe that Jesus was not just an historical figure who lived, but he was one who died and rose again, and when he defeated death, he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave with him as he left. And in that courage and boldness, Peter lived. In that courage and boldness, he wrote to those believers in the ancient world, though they were scattered and they were suffering, remember this, and they felt like strangers in the world, he spoke to them and said, Jesus is enough. And he comes to this place where he says, so don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. Don't be afraid of their threats. Rather, he says, fear the Lord. Revere Christ as Lord, in your own hearts. It's as if he's saying you should fear God so much that you do not fear other things at all. In this age of anxiety, it strikes me that for parents and grandparents, it's an anxious time. I'll tell you what I think parents were thinking when our children were born. In some measure, you can almost summarize it, can't you? In initials, we paid attention to the APGAR score and we wanted our kids to learn their ABCs and 1, 2, three, so they could get into pre-K and to K and then they would be able to pass their various tests. It used to be the tax test and the star test. I'm not sure what it's called these days, but but that you would get through grades 1 through 12 and you would have a high GPA so that you would do well on your PSAT and your SAT or your ACT all so that you could get into UT or, or Texas A&M, TAMU or BU or TCU or TT, I can't say OC, Oberlin College, wherever. I, all of those colleges so that you would get another high GPA and you would do well on your GRE or your LSAT or your MCAT so that you could get A a, a BA at the lower level, a BS, a, a BBA, but then you would get an MDiv or an MBA and ultimately maybe a JD or a PhD or an MD so that you could have a 403B or a 401K and all of this, may I say, so that you could drive a nicer SUV. But I say more, G-O-D, to fear the Lord, to live in fear. One of the great fears, our students know this little expression, maybe you do as well, FOMO. Anybody here have FOMO? Fear of missing out, that we're going to miss out on something. We got the FOMO. And here's what I tell you about that. I don't have FOMO for these students. I don't have FOMO for you. Here's what I have. I have, I don't even know how to say this, Fomga. The fear that you will miss God, that's a real fear. And that fear has a lot to do with the way we live our lives. And listen to the Apostle Peter simply say to us, if you and I will live our lives with a deep and profound reverence for Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, we will be free from the fears that bind other people. God will set us free from those fears and we will live. And could it be that the real story of my life and your life will be told ultimately by whom We feared, and so I want to be at least one voice in the cacophony of our culture to say with Peter, fear the Lord. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, if I could show you just a couple of things in the text, and I've created a couple of words because that's just what I do. I would like you to be free from what I would call amygdalic living. You say, that's not even a word, Pastor, Amygdalic. Well, it comes from the word amygdala, which is that part of your brain that will produce one of three responses in your life. Either fight, you know, people who are always fighting, or flight, they're just running because you're scared, or freeze, you don't know what to do. And there's a lot of people in our world who are living from their amygdala. That part of their brain has bound the reasoning part of their brain which God gives them, not to mention that lizards have this part of their brain. Lizards can fear and flee and freeze. But God created us in his image. And if you're a believer in Christ, he's given you the mind of Christ. So we're not bound by that. And Peter writes to this group of Christians who are beginning to be persecuted for their faith and says, I know it's a scary world, but he quotes from ultimately from Isaiah chapter eight and says, I don't want you to buy into their conspiracy theories. I don't want you to fear what they fear. I want you to live a life. And I thought about the things that people fear in these days i saw a survey uh number 1 i think there's a list of 10 i won't read them all but corrupt government officials a lot of people this is in 2022 The the top fears, corrupt government officials. People I love becoming seriously ill. Well, that's real. Russia using nuclear weapons. People I love dying. The U.S. involved in another world war. Pollution of drinking water. I'm saying them all, aren't I? Anyway, there's lots and lots of these fears. Biological warfare, and you can summarize them. It's government, it's warfare, it's environmental, it's economics. Will I have enough money to support my family? All of these things are our fears. And it's interesting to note that sometimes a little bit of fear can be helpful. There's a recent Slate magazine article that said, if you're a little bit anxious, you have a higher IQ. You will do better on tests. And if something bad is about to happen to you, you will be on the alert enough that you will be less likely to be harmed by it. It's an interesting kind of thing. I think there are some things in this world that we should be afraid of. I think of that poor principal. Did you see this on the news this week? He goes to uh, work, and one of his jobs apparently is to take the uh, cover off of the garbage bin behind the school. I think we have a video of it. Don't we have a video of this? And uh, the principal, you see him there. He's opening the garbage can, and out comes the bear. (laughs) I, I know that's good. I know that you've heard that what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. I would just add to that, except for bears, they will kill you. There are things in this world that we should fear, but we do not, he says, fear what they fear. And when you look at Isaiah chapter eight, as he teaches us, Look at Peter, the fisherman, who's now become a shepherd who feeds the sheep. And he goes to Isaiah chapter 8 and he says, This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me. This is what he says, uh, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Don't fear what they fear. Don't dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy, He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. This um, world is full of people who want to make us afraid. I think of that father who's talking to his eight-year-old named Jack, and Jack says to his dad, so it's one of my favorite stories, Dad, do you believe in the Bermuda Triangle? And his dad says, do you mean, Jack, do I believe there's a place that is the Bermuda Triangle? I do believe that. Or do you mean, do I believe that that's the place where ships sink and planes crash? Because I don't believe that. And, and bold little eight-year-old Jack looked at his dad and said, well, I want you to know, I do believe in the Bermuda Triangle. And I bet you're wondering why. And his dad said, yes, Jack, why do you believe in the Bermuda Triangle? And Jack looked at him boldly and said, well, I was watching Scooby-Doo. And Scooby-Doo was his source of authority. As an alternative, could I point us to the Scripture? Instead of living from our amygdala and being afraid of everything, listen to what he says in Isaiah 8:17: I will wait for the Lord. I will put my trust in Him. Fear of the Lord, by the way, is often used in Hebrew parallelism with love for the Lord, with seeking the Lord, with trusting the Lord. And as I wrote in your Bibles out there, others were writing too, and I appreciate this. Proverbs 3 5 and 6 I memorized that when I was a a freshman in college trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight and it wasn't until I was in my 50s that I learned verse 7 which says do not be wise in your own minds fear the Lord and shun evil if we fear the Lord, we will shun evil, and if we don't fear the Lord, I suppose we'll be afraid of most everything in life. So let me point you beyond amygdalic living to hagiotic living, which is living in holiness. It's one of the words he uses there in verse 15 where it says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. This happens in your hearts. Uh, many of you would say, well, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was young. We're not talking about the muscle. Right? The heart in scripture is the seat of the will. It's where we decide. It's where we make decisions. In your hearts, he says, Revere. Hagia Sato, consecrate, sanctify, reverence. It's a word of worship. It's why Paul would say in Romans twelve, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And until we've done that, until we've offered our bodies as living sacrifices, even if we've sung our favorite songs. We haven't worshiped until we give God our whole lives. What if we lived a holy life, a life sanctified to God, a life in which we fear the Lord? What does that look like? You say, well, pastor, I don't, I don't know about that. I mean, I think we were asking the kids last week, what would God do if he had us in the palm of his hands? And the music, that was a beautiful children's music special last Sunday night, and I said, what would God do if he had us in the palm of his hands? I pointed to those hands up there reaching out to the world, and one of the kids said loudly, he would hug us. Well, he would. He loves us, but he is also the God who is not only love, but also holy, who calls us to set our lives apart for him, sanctify Christos as Kurios, Christ as Lord, Christ Messiah the anointed one, the one who came to die for us and rise again, sanctify him as Curios is Lord. Why? Well, because in the ancient world, if you weren't a Christian, and even if you were a Christian, they asked you to burn a pinch of incense and to say, as an act of worship, cesaros Curios, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians distinguished themselves by refusing to do it and saying, no, Caesar is not Lord. Christ is Lord. Just to be clear, by the way, as we think about Uh, uh, political figures who want to dominate our thoughts. Just think about this. Jesus is not actually up for election. He is the elector himself. We ought to care more about our own election in Christ than we do about any election in this world. He is Lord. And because Jesus is Lord, we have no reason to fear. And you say, well, how do we know he's Lord? He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And he's the only one. And Peter knew that, and he saw the risen Lord. What you see in life will depend on where you set up shop. I set up mine at the entrance to an empty tomb. So did Peter, and that changed his whole perspective on life. And then after teaching Isaiah 8, he begins to teach Psalm 34. Again, a passage I memorized in my 50s. And in Psalm 34, 4, it says, I sought the Lord, and he delivered me from all my fears. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to talk about fearing the Lord. So in Psalm 34, 9, he says, Fear the Lord, you his holy ones, for those who fear him lack nothing. Lions, for instance, or bears may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then he says, and I say this to my kids and grandkids, come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life, And desires to see many good days. Keep your tongues from evil, your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The reason we live with a holy reverence for God is because everywhere we go, as I told our students this morning, he's he's already there. He's the God who travels. We live our lives in his presence. You say, well, is that good news or bad news? Well, it depends on what we're doing, I suppose, because there's acceptance and love, but there's also accountability. We do everything. And he goes on to say in, in, in Psalm 34, I will, I will turn my face against those who do evil and blot out their names from the face of the earth. This is the God we serve. You say, well, that, that's Old Testament. Well, I know. I mean, you think of Job and, and he's, got a, well, he's, got a, he's got his... Speech rehearsed. He's got these things he wants to tell God until he sees God. And then he raises his hand and says, No further questions, Your Honor. I had heard about you, but now I've seen you, and I don't have anything else I want to ask you. You are enough for me. I think of Isaiah. I'm going to preach tonight at. at uh, Historic St. John's uh, across town for my friend T. Grant Malone, who's having an 18th anniversary, and he asked me to come preach. And I'm gonna preach Isaiah chapter 6. And what Isaiah does is he goes to the church, he goes to the temple, we would say, and there it turns out God shows up. And God shows up in power and authority. And he says, our, our translations don't catch it. Woe is me. It's more like this. Oh no! And he falls on his face before God and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I wonder if any generation could say that more truthfully than ours. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. And maybe you got up at four yesterday morning to watch the coronation. And I wondered why I didn't. And then I remembered Charles is not my king. I know a king. He's a seven way king. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of holiness. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. I wonder do you know my king? Because for that king, I would get up early, just like Jesus got up early on Sunday morning in the resurrection. So I challenge you to see Jesus as your king. And I think about that beautiful, some of you probably read this, Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. I know some of our fifth graders have read it. I bet some of these seniors have read it. And in that that passage uh, uh, where Beaver is describing Aslan the lion, who represents Jesus, who will die and rise in the story, Mr. Beaver's describing him, and little Lucy looks and says, I have a question. Is Aslan safe? It would be like you and I asking, is God safe? And I love Beaver's answer. He says, who said anything about safe? Of course, God isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And how do we know that he is good? I'll tell you how we know that he is good. Because Peter says he died for your sins so that he might bring you to God. If you have come to God, by all means, stay with him. And if you haven't come to God, may I plead with you today, come to God. Put your trust in Christ. Give your whole life to him. You will never regret it. We live with holy fear because we trust and treasure the goodness of God. John, who was the beloved disciple, Revelation tells us in chapter 1, ran into Jesus. He had walked with him for three years. But when he saw Jesus with eyes like fire, with a face like the sun, with a voice like Like a waterfall, with with the appearance of lightning, John, the beloved disciple, fell on his face before him. The fear of God is not a fear that drives you away, Aaron Damiani says. It's a fear that beckons you closer. Fear is awe. It's reverence. It's wonder. In its own way, it is love. The Lord delights in those, Psalm 147, who fear him who put their hope in his unfailing love. Just hold that there for a second. Those who fear him, who are they? They're the ones who put their hope in his unfailing love. The same God who created us, that holy God, sent his son to die for us and to rise again. And this is how we hope in his unfailing love. Frederick Faber put it this way, but fear is love and love is fear. And in and out they move, but fear is an intenser joy than mere unfrightened love. They love thee little, if at all, who do not fear thee much, Lord. If love is thine attraction, Lord, fear is thy very touch. And I pray that if we fear, we will fear God. Because I know if we fear God... We will never fear anything else in this world. And maybe at the end, somebody will ask us about this crazy life we live. Was it scary? Were you afraid? And we'll be able to say like Lawn Chair Larry, yes, but wonderfully so. Let's pray. Father, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that we never gain wisdom until we live with holy fear. Lord, I pray that we will not fall subject to the sins which the enemy would love to confuse us with. Lord, help us to find our identity in Christ, our community in the church, and our responsibility in declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.